I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 1 through 14 will be our focus. If you're making use of one of our pew Bibles, you can find uh, this portion in, on page 780, 780 in your pew Bibles. But we're taking a break from Isaiah for one Sunday morning uh, to focus here on Jeremiah 29. I'll be preaching, uh, Lord willing, this evening at one of our sister churches, First Chino URC, uh, for their missions week. And this is a text that has a bit of that missions focus. And so we thought this morning we would also focus on that here from Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14. Let us now listen to the reading of God's holy word. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. May God bless this word to our hearts this morning. Well, what does God Almighty want from a bunch of Christians who are worshiping in the city of Ontario? Sometimes in the busyness of life, in the busyness of work and school and sports and leisure activities, we can sometimes lose sight of why God has placed us on this earth. 
Uh, In our text, we see that God has brought about certain social circumstances that led Israel into this unique season of life that we call the Babylon exile. And in this time of exile, we see that God had purposes for his people Israel uh, to refine them and to humble them. Uh, But he also had purposes to use them to be a blessing in the city of Babylon. Now this morning, whether or not you live in the actual city or you live on the outskirts, our text teaches us today what God desires from his people who are placed by his sovereign hand in all of these different places in this world. It is no accident that you live where you live in this particular age, in this particular time. God in his sovereign wisdom has scattered his people all throughout this world, uh, not simply to live comfortable and cushy lives before heaven, but to live as his faithful witnesses on this earth. And this morning we want to think about that here from the prophet Jeremiah. We first are going to think about our unique situation and identity as God's people. And then we're going to think about, for the most part, Uh, what it looks like to seek the good of the city. And those are going to be our two main points, and we'll have one concluding point as well. And so, beloved, look at verses 1 through 4 of our text, and there we see our unique situation and identity. Now, in the Old Testament, God had prepared a physical homeland for the people of Israel, and their identity as a people was intimately connected with their life in the promised land. You remember how the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt and for those 40 years he led them through the wilderness and he planted them in the promised land of Canaan. In that land there was a unique set of ethics that governed their life. You remember Canaan was to be a kind of picture of heaven on earth and so Israel could not coexist with other pagan nations right? They had to drive them out, and they had to wholly devote that place to God. But notice the context of our letter here. In our portion of scripture, Israel is now far from home. Look at verse 4. To all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. God's people are now existing in a new situation. They are now exiles and outsiders in a land that doesn't belong to them. And it was God himself who brought about these circumstances. Verse 1 says, Nebuchadnezzar carried them away captive. But then you get to verse 4 and verse 7, and God says, I caused them to be carried away. God's people had sinned against God when they were in that land of Canaan. And so God brought about these temporary judgments and these foreign rulers who would take them out of the promised land and into captivity. But again, as I mentioned before, in this time, God had purposes. He had purposes to humble his people, to refine them, to make them ready for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. But he also had purposes for them in Babylon, that as they lived there as temporary residents, they were to be a blessing. Think about this. Living in Babylon radically changed how they were to live. It shaped how they were to think about their neighbors. They had to now live next door to people who didn't worship Yahweh, who didn't worship the same God, who didn't share their same values. 
Moreover, living in Babylon shaped their hope. They were living in a land that was not their true home. And so they were going to build these houses and they were going to plant gardens and they were going to be rooted in the city. But one day, God says, you're going to leave that city behind. We're reminded in a text like this, beloved, that the circumstances of our lives individually, as families, and as a church are not random, but are ordained of God. And our life situation, I would submit to you, is very similar to the situation of the Babylon exiles. Uh, These verses here in our text don't apply one uh, to one to the church, right? When you read the Bible, you have to consider the context of the scriptures. You got to consider the biblical timeline. You got to consider the coming of Jesus and how that shapes the application of a text like this. But with that said, the New Testament writers like 1 Peter and James speak of the church and Christians as exiles and as sojourners on this earth. 1 Peter 1 verse 1, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We see in the New Testament that Christians are dispersed by God in various countries and cities. And so, while today we might be proud Americans who wave the American flag and who live as residents of Ontario, our Chino, our Pomona, We remember the words of Paul in Philippians 3.20 that our true citizenship is in heaven. And that means that alongside the Babylonian exiles and alongside people like Abraham and Daniel and Esther, we are to live as people of faith on this earth. Although we are exiles, our situation, again, is very different than these Babylonian exiles. We live as an even greater community of faith on this earth. We're not just one particular nation, but we're a church of uh, people from all different tribes, tongues, and nations who are scattered all throughout the globe to be God's witnesses. Moreover, we are not scattered in exile because we are suffering God's covenant curses for our sins. No, Jesus has come. He has taken the curse upon himself at the cross so that we might know God's blessing, that we might have eternal life. And so today, beloved, we are scattered in this world for a season under the blessing of the gospel, under this time that we are living in, so that by God's spirit, we might be his witnesses on this earth. And so as we think about our roots, even here in the city, we want to remember this identity that we have as Christians, that we are exiles and we are sojourners. And this leads us now to the main meat of our text, to our second point that we're going to spend some time on. How does this identity shape our calling in the city? And here we see our second point, our Christian calling within the city. Verse 5, we read, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. 
I think as we look at this portion of Jeremiah, we see three things that summarize how we seek the good of the city. We participate in the city, we pray for the city, and we proclaim Christ in the city. Notice first, God calls his people to participate in the common activities of the city, right? Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and sons. Here we see God wants his people engaging in the common cultural activities of the city. Now, think about this. If you were an Israelite hearing these words, it might shock you to hear something like this. You might be thinking, what, what, what are you saying, God? You remember, in the promised land, Israel did not coexist with their pagan neighbors, right? They were to drive out their enemies, not live with them. Uh, and so the people of God are hearing this, and they're hearing this unique command. Moreover, when, when the exiles were receiving this letter, they were not living in the actual city, but they were living on the outskirts of the city. They weren't actually taking up residence and roots in Babylon. And why was that? Chapter 29, there were false prophets. Hananiah was one of those false prophets that said that in just two years, God would break the yoke of Babylon, free his people, and bring them home. That message sounds pretty good, right? Only two years, but we're told here in our text, verse 9, that that was a lie. God says, don't pay attention to those false prophets. God is giving this letter to the exiles uh, to tell them not to pay attention to these false prophets and to tell them that they're going to be in exile, not for two years, but for 70. And in this time, he wanted them to settle down. He wanted them to take up roots he wanted them to live in this city that wasn't going to be their ultimate home. I recently read that worldwide, five million people a week move from the countryside into the urban center. That's a lot of people worldwide who are moving into the city. Uh, the countryside, the outskirts of town, need the gospel. When I was a pastor in Canada, where our church was originally at before we came into the city, we were on the outskirts, we were in the cornfields, and those places need the gospel as well. But God wants his people to be engaged where people are at, right? Remember, the exiles were living on the outskirts of Babylon, not quite engaging in the city, and God sent the people this letter, and he told them to set up some roots, and in God's providence, he brought them into Babylon to be a blessing, and in God's providence, he has placed this church here in this place by his sovereign hand. And what does it look like to participate in the city? Well, this means, beloved, that we share in the ups and downs of the people around us. We are to put ourselves in places and situations where we rub shoulders with unbelievers in meaningful ways. Uh, Christians can engage in, you know, sports in the city, in book clubs, in community gardening, in politics, in community service, and the list goes on. Christians are called to be people who are hospitable, who are welcoming the stranger in, and people who are different from them, to bring them into their homes to show them the love of Christ. In the city, as we participate, even in our most common tasks, we remember that we do so with a different motivation than the unbelieving world. Our labors in the city spring from faith. They are done in accordance with God's word, and they're done for his glory. 
right? Christians might build homes just like their neighbor, but a Christian builds with an awareness that God is the one who gives us the strength and the provision. And unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Christians and non-Christians might plant gardens, but a Christian does so with a sense of dependence on God and a recognition that God is the creator and the sustainer. Christians and non-Christians get married and they have kids, but Christians recognize that their marriage is to be a living picture of the gospel and they raise their kids as children of God's covenant of grace. We participate in the city, but we do so with a wholly different motivation. This also means then as we engage in the city and participate, we must do so critically. We're not to assimilate to the cultural idols and sins of our culture. Uh, sometimes Christians and even churches have lost their saltiness because they have become just like the world. And Paul warns against this in Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we see examples of God's people living faithfully as exiles in the scriptures. You might think of Queen Esther. You might think of Daniel, who also lived in Babylon. When Daniel was living in Babylon, he didn't try to turn Babylon into Jerusalem, but he served Babylon in God's name. Daniel was educated in Babylon. Daniel participated even in the politics of Babylon, but he lived with a sincere devotion to God. And he refused to do those things in Babylon that were against God's word. In other words, he lived in Babylon, he invested in the city, but he never forgot where his true citizenship belonged. And this connects us, beloved, with our second thing that we do in the city. We not only participate in the city, but we pray for the city. We pray earnestly, verse 7, for the good of the city. Now this part of Jeremiah highlights the kind of attitude that we should have towards our unbelieving neighbors. God wants us, notice, to pray. The word here is welfare. It could also be translated peace, the peace of the city. Uh, this word for peace is a familiar one to many of us in the church. It's that word shalom. And no one word in English captures the richness of this word, shalom. It's a word that speaks of complete human flourishing. Flourishing for humans mentally and socially and physically and spiritually. God speaks of this peace uh, that we often hear at the end of the service, right? The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And what's amazing in this text is God is saying to his people, Israel, I don't want you just to be concerned with your own peace. I don't want you just to think about yourselves here, but I want you to be concerned with Babylon's flourishing. Isn't that shocking? And God actually says something further. In Babylon's welfare, you will find your welfare. In Babylon's peace, you will find a measure of peace. What a unique attitude. In Psalm 122, God says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But now God is saying, pray also for the peace of Babylon. Pray even for those Babylonians who might have killed your Jewish friends and family members when they brought you into exile. Pray 
and love your enemies. This parallels the words of Jesus who said in Matthew 5:44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Beloved, this means for us today that whatever city, whatever neighborhood God has placed you in, you are to pray for them, to pray for your city's leaders and rulers, your presidents, prime ministers. God is asking and calling his church to pray and to seek the comprehensive welfare of our neighbors, body and soul. We pray for the downtrodden in our city, for those who are in addiction and in chains of addiction, for the poor, for the hurting. We are to love and pray even for those who oppose the church of Jesus Christ. Romans 12 verse 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And so the question is, are we concerned with the peace of our city, of our neighborhoods? So many people around us, beloved, are searching for peace, inner peace, world peace, peace in the home, peace in their marriages, peace with their kids. And we are called to be those who seek the welfare and the peace of the city that we're living in. Now, this is a high calling, isn't it? To live this kind of life that's faithful to God is is uncomfortable, It's inconvenient, it's difficult, it's costly. It goes against our selfish pride. Like Daniel of old, when you live in Babylon, sometimes you need wisdom to to govern thorny and difficult issues in the city. You need strength to willingly and daily die to self and inconvenience yourself to reach people who need Jesus. Who can love like that? I know one man... He left the glories of heaven and he entered into the towns and the cities of people just like us who were completely different from him. Jesus engaged all sorts of people. He engaged the rich and the poor. He engaged children and adults. He engaged men and women. He engaged people of different backgrounds. And often our Lord Jesus, when he was on earth in the city, he was misunderstood. He was mistreated. He was misrepresented. He was even hated by men. But at the end of his life, Jesus died for sinners. The love of God manifested in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? So that he could come and bring peace between God and man. That he could come bring peace between man and his fellow man that he might reconcile us to God, that we can know this morning true forgiveness and lasting peace. And beloved, this ties in with our calling in the city. We're not only to participate, we're not only to pray, but finally we are to proclaim Christ in the city. This comprehensive and lasting peace can only come from him, right? Christians, you see, are not only exiles in the city, but we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who belongs to country A, but is living and representing country A and country B, right? They represent their home country in a foreign land, and they're they're spokespeople. 
And in order to be an effective ambassador in the city, you got to understand a little bit the culture. You got to speak the language. You got to connect with people in meaningful ways. But the values and the identity that you have ultimately belongs to that country where you came from. Beloved, you are an ambassador in the city of Ontario or Chino or wherever you live. You are to represent the values of Christ and speak his message as you call your neighbors, your unbelieving family, your co-workers to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. When Paul was at Corinth going from city to city, God said to him in Acts 18 verse 9, do not be afraid but go on speaking and do not be silent for I have many in this city who are my people. See here in Jeremiah we see our calling as a church. We see the great commandment of Jesus to love our neighbor as ourselves as we seek their good but we also see the great commission to make disciples of all nations, to pray for the city, to preach to the city all for the glory of God. Beloved, as we do this, as we seek the good of our city, we do so with the hope of our eternal home. And this is our concluding remarks, our hope of an eternal home. And we see that in verses 10 through 14. We see here, beloved, the peace and the prosperity of Babylon was not ultimate. Israel was not to try to turn Babylon into their true home because God had better plans in store for them, verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, this text is often misunderstood today. Sometimes many people just see this as a general blessing on all of our ordinary labors, right? A kind of verse simply for the new year. That God's plans for good will simply mean he'll prosper our business in the new years, bless our marriages, and give us a great life. Again, the context of this verse is sobering. Exile is going to be a long time. Seventy years. God's people are going to have to taste for a season his judgments. But God says, I will cause you, I will cause you to return to your homeland. God's plans for good means that the exile will one day come to an end. And God will bring his people back home. Israel, you see, would one day leave the homes that they built in Babylon. They would one day walk around from the gardens that they planted. And God reminds them in this letter sent to them at this time, I will not forget you in your exile. I will not forsake you, but I have plans for good. And that means, beloved, I will bring you home, God says. And God fulfilled this word. After 70 years... God raised up a pagan ruler named Cyrus who delivered his people, who brought them back to their homeland. The glory of Israel was restored to a degree. But because of the sin that is in our hearts and the rebellion that is still there, once again, even after coming home, they would sin against God. The land would become polluted. The temporary setup, even of the temple, would get destroyed in 70 A.D., and the glory would go away again. And so where do these plans for good and these plans of welfare find their true fulfillment? 
The answer is it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the peace and he is the stability of our lives. Jesus alone is the hope of the human heart. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Beloved, it's a blessing to have such a beautiful church building here in the city of Ontario. But spiritually speaking, this place is just a tent in our pilgrim journey. The Lord gives, the Lord can take away. And that's true not only of a church home, that's true of our physical homes. That's true of our health. That's true of our work. That's true of pretty much anything in this world that we try to find our stability in. But our true home in heaven and our true peace in Christ cannot be taken away. In Christ, God's plans are exceedingly good for us and completely secure. And isn't that good news today? Because living in Babylon can sometimes be tough for us, right? All of the things that we thought were stable are shown to be fragile at times. Our health, our marriages, our children, our work, everything in this world is shown to be unstable at times. But God says to you today, my promises are sure. And your true home is secure. And Christ is stable for you. He is the sure and steady anchor of your life. And so today, may we join our voices to those early Christians of old and say with them those words of Hebrews 13, 14, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. For now we steward the good gifts that God has blessed us with, our time, our talents, and our treasures as we seek the good of the city, but we always do so with that longing in our hearts for our everlasting home. Hebrews 11 says of Abraham and the patriarchs of old, these all died in faith, not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Beloved, it is the Lord who has placed us by his sovereign hand right where we are at today. And he says to you today, make the city your home, but don't make it your ultimate home because Christ has gone to prepare a place for you. And the home that he has provided is a permanent place of worship in the very presence of God. And so today, may we seek the good of the cities God has placed us in as we participate in the city, pray for the city, and proclaim the good news of Christ in the city. And as we do so with hearts that desire that far better country, may we know that God is not ashamed to be called our God. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, give us strength, and grace today to live as faithful and hope-filled exiles here on this earth. We pray that you would empower us by your spirit to be your witnesses here on earth 
until the day that you call us home to glory or until the day that Jesus Christ returns. Father, thank you for the eternal and everlasting home that you have prepared for your people. And surely, Lord, in just a little while, we will be there. We're grateful, Lord, for the hope that you give to everyone who trusts in Christ. And so, Father, we pray that we might labor in this hope, that we might preach this hope, Father, that you might encourage us in this hope through the trials and difficulties that we have. And Father, may you use us for your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.